this is something that I've been sitting on and still working on um, a lot. Uh, and I thought it'd be great to talk about the S word. And uh, when I mentioned the S word, Rob said, you can't say the S word in church. I said, which S word are you thinking about? And I said, I'm talking about a three letter S word. And he goes, well, that's either sin or sex. And I said, well, it's sin. We're going to talk this morning about sin because um, it's kind of like, where is the relevance of sin in 2018? And um, I'd like us to go away from here today with a kind of a feeling of, oh, okay, so it's not this, this, and this, but I could be doing this, this, and this. Where am I culpable? Where am I um, in this continuum? Because sin is not the same today as it will be tomorrow for you or the next day or the next day, because as you are being renewed and being awakened to what God is asking of you, you're responsible for that revelation. You're responsible for the attitudes and the ways in which you look at things. So let's have a look at uh, Luke uh, chapter 18, and we're going to read from verse 9. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. It's the story, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, because we know it was Jesus, because it's in red writing, and we have to pay attention. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, I would rather humble myself because humility, you either put it on and you become humble or it happens to you. You get humiliated. And I don't know about you, but I would much rather humble myself. See, God says that the tax collector here has caught his attention the other guy thinks he's got God's attention because of his behavior, but God is looking at the heart. The tax agent is simple. He comes in a position of truth. Yes, he is indeed a sinner. Yes, he requires God's gift of righteousness because he has none of his own. And because he both needs and recognizes his gift, the need for the gift, he receives it. 
You see, the difference between the Pharisee and the tax agent was that the Pharisee was convinced that he had the truth. He, he had it. He had it all wrapped up. The tax agent didn't. He recognised his sin and the need for God. I want you to sit with the feeling when sometimes you think you are talking to someone and you're that Pharisee, you've got it. You've got the answers. You've got it all wrapped up. But do you really? And in one area, you may have some insight. You may have some knowledge. But you could possibly also be looking like a Pharisee. Sometimes I think when we come to conversations, we need to come in a sense of kindness and holding one another kindly and going, I may not see this the same as this other person. However, my word, there are so many areas in my life that I need to say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for um, your word. And I thank you for the stirring in myself and in the people here that we can look and be more open and aware to be humbled as we look at things from a different perspective. Lord, that we would come to you and find your gift of righteousness because we come to you recognizing that even though our eternal salvation, Lord, if we trust you, is in place, the working out of our salvation, Lord, needs to be approached in a position of hum humility and a position of knowing that we need desperately your mercy on us. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to think and cause us to reach out for the gift of your grace in the areas that you point us out to us this morning and beyond. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So what is sin? The doctrine of sin is central to Christianity because without sin, there'd be no need of a saviour. There'd be no need of redemption. There'd be no need of Jesus. However, it's actually really tricky when we try to find out a concrete, cohesive version of what sin actually is. Now, some of you are thinking, wait a minute, Christy, I know, I know there's things that are definitely sins. And stay with me. Because so much of what we interpret as sin has got more to do with how things have evolved through history and culture than it has actually to do with how God sees it. Let's take a look down memory lane. Now, we have, do I have a thumbs up from the back? We, we have a potential thumbs up. Woman working, that used to be considered as a sin. You would get married and you would have to stop working because a woman who worked was an unrighteous person, a sinful person. A woman working in a man's job taking a man's role, oh my gosh, just don't go down there. That was really bad. I remember going through a stage in the church where people thought superheroes were sinful, couldn't allow their kids to dress up, won't even mention Harry Potter. <laughs> Woman with short hair, 
sinful. And there's a scripture for it because it talks about your hair being, you, you know, your glory. Don't have your hair short. I remember a very good friend of my father's. He used to say to me, Christy, I just can't get used to seeing women's ears. 70. It was 70. This was only about three years ago. It's just not right to have a haircut like a man. I mean, you can't tell the difference. And I said, well, what do you do when they tie their hair back with a ponytail? He said, that's okay because I know they have the hair. I said, but men tie their hair back in a ponytail now too. He says, do they really? I said, yes, it's called a man bun. He goes, oh, God have mercy. I said, yes, we need mercy. Drinking alcohol. There are some, nobody is advocating getting drunk. Nobody, nobody, nobody. But the Bible says that wine is good for the heart. Um, there are some people that we know, even friends of ours, that are so strict against alcohol. They actually believe that it is impossible to receive the Spirit of God and also to drink wine. Impossible. Especially in some countries. Um, America is one of them and South Africa is another. Alcohol is just a big no-no. Watching movies. Okay, I grew up, you would never go and see a movie on a Sunday. My parents grew up, movies were of the devil, period. Sports on Sunday. Oh, sinful. Not a righteous person would, would play sports on a Sunday. Even shopping on a Sunday, reading newspapers on a Sunday, watching TV on a Sunday. I grew up with people who didn't even have a TV in their home because they were bringing ungodly, sinful things into their home. Handel's Messiah. How many people have heard of Handel's Messiah? Do you know that that divided the Church of England and Ireland for 10 years? 10 years. Because it was said that how could you possibly sing the praises of God in a theatre? It was a sin. Things, hymns that, um, we, that people used to sing, uh, when we all get to heaven, we'll sing and shout the victory. It's a really old song. And it was written to a pub song of the time. But how could you sing the praises of God to something that was sung in a pub? Sinful. Sunday school divided the church for years. Can you believe that? Considered Sinful. 30 years ago, children born out of wedlock had such a hard time. Horrendous. It's not the child's issue. But everyone treated that child like as if they wore a big S. Sorry, I'm by my hand. <laughs> they wore a big S on their head. Horrendous. Not so much now, thankfully. You know, looking directly in someone's eye in some cultures is considered absolutely abhorrent. I had a little, um, I had a little uh, picture to show you, but I can't show you. It's hilarious. It's a person doing what's called a downward-facing dog. So she's in a yoga position, but she's actually facing a dog. So it really is a downward-facing dog. Oh, we got it! How cool, cool is that? I just love that. Do you have the photographs of the girl with the short hair and the... Oh, you've seen all that? Oh my goodness, they never give me, oh, you guys are on it. They were so amazing down there, they were great. Um, businessmen in some cultures will do a respectful bow. Have we got the respectful bow? Yes, yes. 
Like, you know, don't look at somebody's eye, bow. I think you should all start that down here. Let's <laughs> bowing as we see each other. And, or you could kind of do like a respectful bow. Meditation used to be considered horrendous for a Christian to even use the word meditation. Yet it's in the Bible. And meditating on the Word of God is an incredible thing to do, especially as we become busier and busier and busier. You know, just focusing, sometimes I'll just um, use breath prayer. You know, transform me. Transform me with your love. Transform me with your love. Transform me with your love. Or I'll meditate on um, a word or a phrase out of Scripture. Not a whole heap of stuff, but just a little, I'll make a little mantra from the Scripture. Oh, I'm getting sinful, very naughty. To not show respect and honors to elders is actually almost normal now because everybody treats everybody as equal. Um, I've got a picture of an old lady here. Can you see her? Yeah, that picture really did something inside me. I, I get really scared when I think about because we don't honor elder, our elders. Um, the idea of elder abuse is so abhorrent to me. And years ago, people would honor elders. And now it has flipped the whole way around. Um, so some of the things that were never sins are now, you know, this is actually a sinful attitude to have this attitude towards someone who is old and frail and vulnerable. I've got a picture of a train in a train next. We got that train picture. That, that picture upset me so much. No, not yet. It'll come. Just give me, tell me, you tell me when it comes up. Calling parents by their first name. I grew up, that was just a no-no. And sinful, um, because, and I've got a scripture for it, honor your mother and father so that it may be well with you. Um, I've got a funny uh, story to tell you. Like a lot of people here, if you've come from a Catholic background, you would know that eating fish on a Friday during Lent, especially Good Friday, is like, no, 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 no. So I'll tell you a story. An Irish guy, he was a Protestant living in a Catholic area. And during Lent... Uh, every Friday night, he would cook this big piece of steak. And for the most part, the neighborhood were happy with John being part of the neighborhood. But this was really hard. The smell of a steak on a Friday night, they wanted a, st a steak and a bottle of Guinness, but all they had to have was a piece of fish and a drink of water. So they thought, look, John's not a bad man. Let's just go and have a chat with him, have a yarn. So I went over and said, John, look, this is, we, we can't do this. You're living in community here. Uh, you know, it's only for a few weeks in a year. Do you think you could work with us? And he said, look, I, I, of course I'll work with you. I don't even mind becoming a Catholic. Oh, they said, that's fantastic. We'll bring the priest over. So the priest comes over and he prays over him and he says, you were born a Protestant, you were baptized a Protestant, but you're now a Catholic. John goes, oh, fabulous, fantastic. So next year comes around and Lent starts. And lo and behold, they start smelling this delicious smell of meat coming up from the barbecue with John. And the, the guy says, oh, he's forgotten. 
he's forgotten. Let's go over quietly and have a wee yarn with him. So they walked over and they looked up over the fence and they heard John saying, you were born a steak, you were marinated a steak, but now you're a fish. <laughs> when I grew up, Christians never swore. I remember the first person who's still at Bayside, who's the most amazing man of God, and he said, bloody. And I thought, how can he actually say bloody and be a Christian? I mean, how is that possible? It's just not possible. And yet, there's worse things than we can say than bloody. I mean, I remember a time where I never would have even used that as an example from the pulpit. As a Christian, you know, people have said you must have it all together. Guys in particular, if we got this photograph, are not allowed to cry. We're brought up showing, saying that we're not allowed to show emotion. I've got this fabulous photograph of a man eating a bar of chocolate. Now, I think, guys, let's just get this straight. I have zero problem, zero problem with you showing emotion. I welcome you. I invite you to show emotion. But don't take the flipping chocolate. Just don't take the chocolate. That is inexcusable. Okay, cry all you like. Don't take the chocolate and no one will get hurt. <sighs> We're straight. Yeah, I keep on losing my hand. <laughs> Where's it uh, I tried to look up an image for a good Catholic guy or a good Catholic girl, and I ended up with a really good-looking Catholic priest. Can we have a look at him? Just, just for me. I think, yeah. Uh, not bad, hey? Revival in the Catholic Church. So, you know, I remember one day saying to my kids, listen, you can't go and see that movie because there's bad language in it. And they go, well, mom, then we shouldn't be going to, to school. As a child, somebody told me that they thought it was a great thing because they recognized sin in someone else by what they did, but now they realize that that was actually judgment. So they were feeling good and pleased about recognizing the sin in someone else, but now they realize they were actually judging that person. Um, someone told me when I was talking to the team about this message, because this has really been you know, going around in my spirit for a long time. Um, that their father introduced them to porn, so they thought it was okay. Um, talking back. Uh, kids today, teenagers today, talk back all the time, and they call it communication or freedom of speech. Or in my house, it's a human right to have an opinion. <laughs> Woman in ministry. Scripture and verse for not doing that, but taken out of context and looked at out of context I mean, we're stuffed. I'm stuffed. I've been doing it for a long time. Uh, so we have to look at these things in the context of history, the context of culture. Um, and it's okay for me to have an idea. It's okay for me to have a view. Where it gets not good is when I don't understand that that is mine. And I actually don't have to enforce my opinion or my ideal or my worldview on someone else. Now, if it's an area that I believe is strong to the heart of God, I can encourage you to look at it. I can encourage you to be open. I can encourage you, but it is only God that can do the conversion of heart and soul that actually helps you to walk into that and go, oh yeah, that actually feels good. 
What I thought was okay before now has changed and that has to drop off me. We have got to be constantly transforming and constantly finding room for redemption, constantly finding room for growth. If you are exactly the same as you were last week or last year or the last 10 years, you're in trouble. We've got to be changing all the time, shifting and moving constantly towards Christ's transformative love. So we talked about how, or we're talking about how these concepts are often more cultural than based in Christian faith. I'd like to reread this parable to you again, just with some of the things that we're, we're thinking about. To some who were confident of their own righteousness, their own ideals, their own worldviews, and looked down on everybody else. I mean, you know, I was talking to someone else the, this week, one of the staff members, about, um, you know, how much we must look after the earth. But we've got to lead people into that through grace and a sense of our own conversion and our own awareness and not through shame. I realized some of the mistakes that I made when we were campaigning for the boys because I just couldn't believe that people couldn't get. People get uh, homelessness. They get uh, drug addiction. They get orphans. They get widows. They get the poor. But they couldn't get why we would help someone who had been a drug trafficker, not realizing that that's a cycle of addiction, poverty, low education, all sorts of issues involved. And so I tried everything to bring people along. Um, and I did. I, I even went there, well, what's wrong with you, line? This matters to God. But we have to bring people on a journey through awakening, through transformation, and not through shame and guilt. So some people are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else. And Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, focused on himself, all that he's doing well. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Let that be a hint. When you start to get comfy and you go, oh, I'm so good, this is great, I don't do that, I don't, I don't do that, there's a problem with that thinking. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get, all focused on behavior. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Ultimately, the tax collector understood his need for God, and he realized that that, that, that would make him search after the things that God required of him. You see, sometimes we ourselves look for things, not realizing that it is only God that will fulfill us. And those things that we look for can be sinful if they're outside of the parameters that God has set for us. I love what St. Augustine says. I've got a little image here. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. You have made us for yourself. How beautiful. What a privilege to be made for God. 
in that beautiful, the intimacy of that statement. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. Recognizing when you have this restlessness in you and recognizing that it is only in God that you will find that intimacy, that embrace that you need. You know, we try to fill senses of emptiness or restlessness with many things. Maybe it's technology. I've got some photographs there. Technology, we've got, you know, we go to the phone. I've heard people say you go to the phone instead of the throne. Food, you know, food in itself is great, but if it's filling an emptiness, if it's filling um, a need, more than a need to be nurtured or a, um, a time of fellowship, if it's a place that we go to numb, I'll tell you, I love chocolate. But when I get a bar of chocolate and I consume it and don't even know what I've done, I'm going, hmm, I'm, there's something wrong there. There's an awareness in me that I go, I, I've, I'm not resting in God. FOMO, the fear of missing out. What if you didn't know? What if you just didn't know? I love Thomas Merton, the, the Trappist monk. He says, you know, often I don't read things until they're well out of date because I'll have a different view of it than I would have if I had read it when it's current. There is so much, often I don't even watch the news during the week because I think to myself, I will find out what I need to know. Instead of putting lots of things into my spirit, uh, we've talked about the chocolate. Shopping, you know, you need to shop, you need to acquire things, but you're going shopping. I, I've even spoken to people who've come to me and said, Christy, you know what I do? I, and I said, well, this is good. The fact that you've realized that this, this is awareness. I go online, I fill my basket, I leave it till tomorrow and then I empty the basket and that meets a need in me. Now, I honor that person for telling me that. I go, good on you for recognizing that and good on you that you've actually taken the first step of overcoming addiction, which is an act actually doing less harm, which is actually being aware. Next step is when you feel that urge going, how can I fill this in a place of rest with God? Social time. Sometimes we fill our lives so much. I've got a picture of a, a diary and every area is filled. We have no space for solitude. You know, I don't pray in the morning. I have stopped praying in the morning. Hear me out. I sit and I listen. And I wait until I have instructions. And God knows how much I can retain. So normally it's two words. Like today, bring peace and courage into all your conversations. Or bring peace and love into all your conversations. And recalibrate with me. Check in again at midday and see how you're doing on that. We had a staff meeting the other day and we everyone brought something into the room and then at lunchtime we checked in with everyone. Where, where are you going with what, how God has asked you to be part of that meeting? I tell you what, <laughs> it sounds like, you know, 101, but this is important. You know, we do a lot of talking at God. How often do we listen to him? Often we use um, religion to uh, appease our addiction. We want to have definitive answers. You know what? It's actually okay to go, I don't know. I actually don't know. I don't know. 
Do you want to join me in the I don't know? Let's be curious to see where God's going to lead us and direct us. Wow. Wow. Because we want everything solved. We want everything fixed. We don't like to live in the tension of not knowing. You know, what, instead of doing a proper relational thing, say, for example, I don't think I would ever have an argument with you, but look, just pretend we did. Just pretend we had an argument. I'll just send you a quick text to say, oh, I hope you're okay. Um, maybe it was a little bit sharp. That's not good enough. Because what that does is it stops us going, you know what? I care about you too much and... I just need you to know that right now at the moment, I'm going through a bit of stuff, and it's mostly my deal, but can you just be aware of it so that when I walk in the room and you actually can come and say hi to me so that I know we're okay? And at the other side, I'll do the same for you. We don't know how to have those conversations any longer. We dispatch it because we try, so we send the text, and we think, good, done. We don't actually know how to sit in the tension of how do I resolve this properly? And that shoving something, a text, to make sure everything's okay is actually sinful. Whereas being in a place where we can communicate, because this is my theory on sin, right? Sin is anything that shortcuts a real need and goes and gets that need met illegitimately. So, for example, we have a need for intimacy. We don't have a need for porn. You see, porn is something that you can make work at your time, apart from the fact that, you know, it's not the best way to intimacy. We have a need for community, but, you know, you could say, well, I'll watch um, something on Christian TV. Well, that's not bad, but if it's actually stopping you from coming around people where potentially we're human, I mean, you and I could disagree. Oh, gosh, imagine. I might actually have to see things from your perspective. You may actually have to get inside my brain, God have mercy on you. <laughs> you know, when you're in community, it's a longer route, but it's real. It's real. It's raw. And sometimes it's ugly, and sometimes it's messy, and sometimes it's hard, and that's why we need the mercy. But that's why we understand that this is a walk. This is a journey, and we need to hold each other kindly. You know, sometimes I'll say, hey, what went on there? That wasn't the best you. I know you better than that. And we need to help people get into their safe place. You've heard me preach that message about a fish out of water is like boop, boop, flappy, but a fish in water is happy. Love will help that fish get back in the water. They won't just laugh at it flapping. And sometimes we don't hold each other kindly. We watch each other acting out. And instead of helping us get into that place of where the best self is, we ridicule, we laugh, we go, oh, I'm not, look at that behavior, I don't do that. Yeah, but your behavior, by not acting in love and putting yourself in that position where you're prepared to have those conversations in a position of love, is actually wrong. So that's my hypothesis on sin. I love the word hypothesis because it, it's, it's, it comes from the word hippo, which is under, and thesis, which is um, to place. So it's like a hippopotamus is always underwater. I used to always remember that. I love that. I just want to show you this little clip on addiction because I, I think that sin and addiction or sin and compulsion, what is your compulsion? I want you to have this feeling of where do I feel compulsive? I need to say something. I need to do something. I need to eat something. I need to be somewhere. What is that? 
What is driving you? So let's have a little look at this video clip. We've got it. Good. Okay. I'll just stay here while we're watching it. senior year I was at a party and uh, you know my parents wouldn't allow it in the house so I didn't have as much exposure to it as some of my friends it was kind of a, a late bloomer I guess I had a lot on my mind at the time at graduation thinking about college coming up and uh, it was weird because I, I could relax but feel this rush of adrenaline at the same time I, I had never felt anything like that you know uh, I even started thinking about it when I was alone I was daydreaming about it at school after a while, it wasn't just a weekend thing anymore. I was sneaking over to my friend's house. I mean, my whole senior year was a complete blur. <laughs> um, you know, then I moved to college, and uh, you know, I'm living in the dorm with all of my buddies and no parents around. So you know, that's a nightmare. I, I lasted two semesters. Wow. Anyway, after I quit school, things actually turned around for me. I um, <laughs> I made a vow to myself that I wouldn't touch it, and I didn't for over three years. I got a great job. I met someone, I got married. I was really back on track, but then we started going to church and they joined a small group. But that's where it happened of all places. You know, the guys were just hanging out and, and one of them offered and I accepted. I couldn't resist. It was three years of being clean just down the drain in two seconds. Anyway, we're uh, going through counseling now and I still struggle every day with it and uh, I'm even thinking about it right now but you know it's, it's one day at a time right absolutely yeah I'm getting lagged here guys watch your sixes get that somebody get that sniper no no, no I, I'm taking fire Now, we can sort of laugh at that because we think oh, it's a video game and we think, oh, that's not affecting anybody else. But here's the deal. If you actually believe that your behavior and the way you're doing things is not affecting anyone else, you're seriously delusional. Because by doing some of these things that become compulsive, that become your place to go, other than Christ, other than each other, because we are designed to come into a place of rest with God. We're designed to come into a place of community with each other. Anything less than that, we will not be fully satisfied. Anything that I've written down here, anything that, mit that negates or mitigates our need for God and tries to shortcut or substitute relationship either with God or others, basically it comes down to what I would say is sin in 2018. Most often, we try to fill our lives with things that are anything but God. I love what Richard Rohr says, and it's probably one of the best definitions I've heard. All societies are addicted to themselves and create deep codependency on them. There are shared and agreed upon addictions in every culture and every institution. These are often the hardest to heal because they do not look like addictions because we've all agreed to be compulsive about the same things and blind to the same problems. The gospel exposes those lies in every culture. The American addiction to oil, war, and empire. The church's addiction to its own absolute exceptionalism. 
the poor person's addiction to, its to their powerlessness and victimhood, the white person's addiction to superiority, the wealthy person's addiction to entitlement. Christians are usually sincere and well-intentioned people until you get to any real issues of ego, control, money, power, pleasure, and security. Then they tend to be pretty much like everybody else. We often given a bogus, are given a bogus, ver bogus version of the gospel. <laughs> Some fast food religion without any deep transformation of the self. And the result has been the spiritual disaster of Christian countries that tend to be consumer-orientated, proud, warlike, racist, class-conscious, and as addictive as everybody else, and often more so. Like I said earlier on, the biggest step out of this is acknowledgement. The ego hates to lose, and especially to God. The human ego prefers anything, just about anything, to falling or changing or dying. The ego is the part of you that loves the status quo, even when it's not working. It attaches the past and present, attaches to the past and present, and fears the future. So acknowledging today, um, as we close, that there are areas that we need to look at so that we may be healed. So we may be healed as individuals, and we may be healed as a community. The antidote to sin in 2018 is acknowledgement of it and our vulnerability to it. I love, if you get a chance to look at Brene Brown, she talks a lot about vulnerability. I find for myself doing the prayer of examine each day at the end of the day where I look past, look back over the day like a video clip and go, where did we do okay, Jesus? And where did I go my own way? And you were sort of like going, uh, hello. And I actually find that then I live my life a little bit differently because I live my life with the end of the day. If I go into this conversation now with this attitude, what am I going to be repenting of tonight? It makes a difference, I tell you. Um, Brene Brown talks a lot about shame, um, which causes us to disconnect and to fear disconnection. Shame is a thing that underpin the idea that I am not good enough. Shame is a focus on self and guilt is a focus on behavior. What I'm talking about today is not about bringing shame or guilt to you in any area. It's about taking stock. It's about having time to look over your life and to consider how you have changed. And to be able to, when you're speaking to people and they say, I've got a challenge with this or this or this, to be able to be honest and open and say, me too, me too. Now, you may have progressed, you may have learnt, but picking them up at that place on their journey and helping them to realize your vulnerability is a huge gift. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So, my friends, there's so much more in this that I could say today. Um, but I just feel that, you know, the Lord is talking to us. He certainly talks to me every time I think about this. That there may be some areas that you think, you know what, I just, I feel as if I've 
moved away from those. But I'm doing that with a sense of pride or maybe in my own strength. There may be a part of you that's saying, you know, I realize there's areas I need to move away from, but I'm scared to be vulnerable. I don't know if others will hold me kindly. You know, when somebody says, especially if it's your partner, and you say, I feel as if I'm overdoing my schedule because I have a need to be constantly doing things and constantly being with people, then you don't turn to that people and go, yes, I've been trying to tell you that for weeks. <laughs> you go, okay, okay, let me hold you kind. You don't have to say, let me hold you kindly, but think about this. What are some of the things that we could move forward in together? How can I support you? How can I help you get back in the water, into that place of peace and rest? You know, let me challenge you as a community. Really ask yourself, how am I holding myself kindly? How am I holding others kindly? How can I hold people kindly this day, this week, as I move forward, recognizing that we are all sinners. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I need to be held as kindly as anyone else in this room. Believe me, I can be very tough on myself. And the toughness that I'm not on myself, don't you worry, there will be somebody else on my back. I need to be held kindly. I need to be given the space for redemptive love. I need to be given the space to say, you know, the way you're doing this is not showing me your best you. We all need that. We're all human beings. Can we stand together a minute while I just pray over us? Well, Jimmy can sit because we recognize um, what he's going through. It's his foot. I, I damaged all the ligaments on my hand, so I have an inordinate amount of compassion for him. There you go, Jimmy. You heard me say it, inordinate. I'm feeling for you, bro. Hold Jimmy gently. Jimmy needs held gently too, like everybody else. <laughs> Father, I just thank you that, Lord, your, your gaze is upon this congregation, Lord. Uh, Lord, that you are holding us kindly in grace and mercy. Lord, that your loving embrace is around us. Father, I thank you for the way that you are awakening us as individuals. Lord, for the sense of your presence that we had at the beginning of the day, Lord, that grace to be aware of you. Lord, the grace to be aware of you at different points during the message today. Lord, for the grace to be aware of being held kindly as we uh, speak to one another afterwards, the grace to be aware of needs and also praise and, uh, and celebration among people, Lord God. Father, we just pray that you would touch our hearts and show us where we need to see things differently, Lord God, so that we can see with your eyes, Lord, and that we don't just box things in because that is, is cultural or historical, Lord God, but that we are looking for where your presence rests, where there is love, where there is peace, where there is joy, where there is the fruit of your spirit, Lord God. Lord, we just pray that you would have mercy on us. In Jesus' name, amen.